Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Ali Fakeki is the CEO and founder of Juno. The employee benefit space has been broken for a long time. And with COVID and remote work and the disconnect between what companies offer and what employees want has become very apparent. And Ali wants to take a completely different approach to employee benefits. So rather than companies try and guess what people want, employees have the power to decide what they need. So with Juno, employees have a monthly allowance in the form of Juno points, which then can be used at Juno's marketplace that literally covers thousands of premium products and services from the likes of Barry's Bootcamp to childcare to home laundry to healthy snacks, pretty much anything you can imagine. And in this episode, Ali gives his very frank views on why companies have been getting it wrong for so long, how Juno are fixing the problem and how to scale a remote company. Hey Ali, great to have you on the show. How are you doing? Great, pleasure. Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. So um, I was doing my research, quite an interesting background of yours. I saw kind of started out more creative, um, spent a few years in startups before doing your own thing. I just wonder if you can give like a quick snapshot of that journey and like specifically touching on like what led you into kind of the employee wellbeing space. Yeah, of course. So I graduated from Leeds University, studied politics. At the time, I was obsessed with uh, photography and filmmaking and I, I kind of had the idea in my head that I was going to become a, a director, film director. Um, but when I left university, I realized that I needed to make money and actually like be independent. Um, and so the the dream of being a filmmaker kind of went out the window and the, the, the natural landing place for me at the time was startups because, uh, you know, if you've got the right attitude and um, and tenacity, they'll give you a shot, or at least that was the experience I had, which was approaching a startup that I found very interesting that was doing really interesting things. Um, it was Babylon Health for Vets. Uh, and at the time, so 2014, that was definitely a novel idea. And I kind of pitched the founder and said, I have no experience, but I'm keen and I want to help you market this thing. And I've got creative, I've got a creative background. And I think the deal was, if you can do our advert, then you can join us as an intern, as like a growth marketer. Uh, and that was kind of when I got the the itch for, for startups. Um, I I love that kind of fast-paced environment. I did have a stint after that in a PR agency just to sort of see whether my create, being a creative was still on the cards for me. But actually, I, the pull of startups really kept me, uh, yeah, brought me back, basically. But my experience actually with with what I ended up doing, which is founding Juno, was that, you know, I was really kind of fascinated by this, um, I I suppose you can call it a trend, which I noticed, which was that, uh, you know, when I was wet behind the ears and and knew in my career and my friends were as well, we we all kind of had similar stories to tell. And that story was that, that they felt stressed and burnt out and maybe they didn't really work in the best kind of work environments and so on. And that kind of really baffled me, right? Because you had these very ambitious and energetic and excited people, you know, young people who were joining uh, the workforce for the first time and had all of these great ideals and um, had to kind of compromise them and were disappointed. So 
I felt that too. Uh, I felt like the the offering, the support from startups or any company really was just a little bit untailored. It wasn't necessarily very effective. It was kind of like coupons and vouchers and things that, you know, might be great as a cherry on the cake, but uh, not as a as a benefits program or anything like that. So I kind of uh, took it upon myself to to fix that. Um, uh, my personal experience, you know, being stressed in a job and having personal stuff going on outside of it made me think like, wow, wouldn't it be great if a company could actually do something that could genuinely support you? You know, not just here's a coupon uh, and Virgin Active is now 50 quid instead of 95, you know, or probably more than that. Um, you know, so for me, it was what if, what if parents could get childcare like that, like in a, in a click of a mouse? What if, uh, you know... You, stressed out managers can access therapy without having to ask their boss. And mainly, what if people could have the flexibility and the choice to make their own decisions? So that's kind of the seed of Juno, which we see three, four years nearly, feel four years later. Amazing. And um, before Juno, what was the traditional approach taken to like employee benefits and employee well-being? And, and then like, why, why were those approaches generally quite flawed? It sounds like it's really about like, lack of flexibility. Well, I suppose, to be fair, and to really give the benefit of the doubt, I think that benefits and well-being, and workplace well-being specifically, hasn't been as much of, you know, it's a massive focus now. And in the last sort of 10, five, let's say five years, that focus has really been been kind of revolutionized, let's call it. Like people, companies have been a lot more conscientious. Back then, I think it was more a case of, you know, obviously, if you're not if you're not counting healthcare, for example, it was more a case of it's a nice to have, it's a little bit of a differentiator, but if it worked or not, it didn't really matter. It wasn't fundamental, which it is now. It's much more important now. But I think the approach was wrong because, first of all, um, you know, there was a bit of a set menu that companies, you know, companies meant well, and I'm not knocking them for that. They meant well, and if they didn't mean well, then they wouldn't be doing it. They wouldn't have wasted their time. So. Generally, it kind of was a set menu. Hey, there's a gym, and if you want the gym, we'll give you a discount, which is a discount that the gym offered them. It's not like it's out of the goodness of their heart. Or it's a cycle-to-work scheme, or it's, uh, I don't know, uh, something very kind of very two-dimensional, let's call it. And what ended up happening for the employer is they weren't using it. And then you'd have things like Perkbox, where they'd ask you to kind of take money out of your own pocket and to, to, to really get things that, I mean, you could find on the back of a cereal packet, you know, 15% off Toby's carvery or whatever. Like, who cares about that? Um, and frankly, you know, why would a company pay for, for that when they can find it for free online? So I think that all of that resulted in, you know, lack of utilization, you know, this sort of rolling the eyes of the employees whenever they heard of the latest you know, breath work at lunchtime thing. And what ends up happening for the company, for the employer, where they were just wasting a lot of money and a lot of time. You know, they would bring in the yoga teacher and find that for 100 people, the 10 would show up regularly, if that. Um, or they would put a therapist in a meeting room, which I just find to be very, very crass, you know, just to put, to put a therapist in a glass meeting room and say, you know, it's a, I always say the joke, which is like, imagine walking into a restaurant and then there's a firefighter in the corner. You think, why is there a firefighter? Do you expect there to be a fire? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Now, not to say that therapy isn't important, but you know, I just think that the approach was a little bit, a bit kind of crude. And now 
with Juno and all of the sort of uh, uh, companies that have cropped up uh, inspired by Juno, uh, it's all about, look, we're going to give you uh, the employee the choice and the flexibility to make your own decision. You know, we don't know what you want. And as a company, as an employer, it's not their business to know. Um, but you get an allowance, say that it's £40 up to £100 a month, which is part of their employment package, their, their salary. And they can use that on on well-being things, you know, whether it's therapy or food boxes or childcare or house cleaning. Uh, that's up to them um, rather than kind of having to adhere to quite a strict um, definition. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And, yeah, it's definitely something that we've seen. I only run a small company, like less than 10 people, but we were struggling to find like a set of benefits that everyone really wanted. Uh, like it was really hard to find a catch-all and uh, this is before I knew Juno existed. Um, but we ended up going for an option where um, they get like a £500 allowance per year. They can basically spend on whatever they like, but they still have to go and find it like what they want themselves, which is still an annoyance rather than having it all like pre-built for you. Um, come back to your point about like the shift over the last five years. Like what, what do you feel is causing that from a company perspective? Like you find just the battle for talent right now, people are having to, companies are having to be much better in terms of like what they're offering or is it more of like a retention strategy or? It, it really depends, right? So I would say that first of all, the market has shifted just in general in the same way that climate and sustainability have been focuses for businesses, which they weren't really as much as 15 years ago, let's say. So, if we zoom out to fifty thousand feet above, you know, above the, uh, you know, above the ground, you'd uh, you'd see that societally people are less likely to put up with, you know, harassment, racism, toxic workplaces in general, right? So, you know, if you take um, outside of the workplace, generally speaking, we are a lot less likely to put up with things that we're not happy with, um, or that is not right. So. Societally, we've changed from a very kind of high level. But in the workplace, first of all, you know, definitely it's just expected now in the same way that people are expected to have some kind of flexible work offering, right? Not Maybe not fully remote, but there's got to be something. It's just the right thing to do. If you're not, you're a dinosaur. In the same way that if you don't have some kind of good well-being offering, you're a bit of a dinosaur. Now, what does that mean? That means if you are a dinosaur, then of course going to take you longer to find great talent and hire them it's going to potentially be challenging to keep people because imagine you've got great people and they deserve to, maybe they expect to work remotely or flexibly or maybe they expect to have some kind of well-being or maybe they expect to have a good workplace that they enjoy being in you know at the end of the day um all of those factors now are from my own observation, I can exp sort of tell you how what we've seen in terms of um, if you can pull together trends. What we find is that smaller businesses, so let's say, you know, seed stage startups or agencies that just started, generally speaking, and what we've found is that the the sort of the focus on well-being and benefits and support comes from the founders, the managing directors, the people that are at the top that started the business. Generally speaking, that's what we've seen. So if you take, for example, a uh, business like, I'm trying to think now, um, Monet Money, one of, our, one of our clients, startup, growing quickly, but you can tell that they put well-being and benefits at the, sort of at the pinnacle of what they wanted to do. So that, that was their differentiator, let's just say. Now, larger companies, people that, you know, businesses that have been around for slightly longer, 
um let's say they're between 50 and 100 I don't, i'm not really i don't want to give specifics but let's say a company that's been around for 10 years what they find is they've just seen the pain of trying to provide something that makes everyone happy they've seen the pain of the admin they've seen the pain of and obviously why, why are they doing it the pain of having to compete they're competing with other agencies they're competing with other fintech companies they're competing with other law firms and so they want to differentiate and then the remote companies as a final sort of um, uh, use case is if you're a remote business, uh, it's extremely hard to get benefits right in all those different countries. There are different cultures, expectations, there are different laws. And so they come to us because that is just a complete minefield. And you know we're proud to be able to support people in over 70 countries worldwide and kind of reimagine what, what does an employee benefits package look like if you're remote you know, it's not like you've got a gym down the road that's, that everyone's in an office and can access. So that's kind of the, what we found to be the use cases there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really, really interested. I think you touched on most of the points that I had in my mind. Like, I think there's a societal shift, like you said, of expectations. I think people are waking up to the fact they spend, I think I read like a third of, third of your life is spent at work. And like work's one of the main causes of stress in your life. So I think people are starting to realize now, well, actually, if, if this is the case, I'm going to commit a huge portion of my life to doing this. And it's also going to cause me quite a lot of stress. And I should be getting more in return than just a salary and, and maybe like a bonus and, and like really basic hygiene benefits. And actually, I'm going to go to the companies that are going to offer me what I actually need. And by the way, if, if you don't count the other third, which is being asleep, then technically <laughs> half of your life is, is that one. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, if we're ca- if we're counting from eighteen to I don't know what what's the retirement age now seventy five, a hundred. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's chat about Juno for a little bit then. And you've already touched a little bit about what Juno do, but could you just give um, yeah an overview of, of what it is you do again and, and, and how it all works? Absolutely. So the vision for Juno is to build a a consumer brand in many ways. Uh, which appeals to the modern professional. You know, imagine uh, Dice or, or or I'm trying to think of another cool brand like Nike, you know. These are brands that, uh, you know, exist in a, in a they, they, they're bigger than what they do and that's kind of our vision, which is that Juno is there to support progressive companies to look after all of their people, all of their professional, um, their, their workforce, essentially. And the way that we do that is by allowing companies to distribute an allowance, which is in the form of Juno points, which we, we, we is our little international currency. And employees will receive those points and then be able to redeem them against a marketplace, which has hundreds of high quality premium products and services. So Barry's Bootcamp, a Peloton, uh, you can grab packed coffee, um, you know, proper stuff not um you know stuff that you'd find on the back of a in in a, in a bargain bargain uh, basket by uh, by the checkout right in addition to the marketplace we've also got a visa card which is a, everyone gets a virtual visa card which they can then use for uh, uh um, subscriptions so for example i use mine for my gym i just put my card number on that and my, it just takes out the money every month from my points and then the final one which really is um to support people that are maybe in a remote areas so we've got people in uh you know in uh, remote parts of the state so we've also got people in the middle east and as a middle easterner i'm telling you now card and card payments are not always supported 
Um, and so we have an expense feature, a reimbursement feature where you can, for example, upload an invoice for a therapist or an invoice for a physio and we'll pay you in pretty much any currency that TransferWise allows us to. So all told, we've also got a community as on Slack, which connects all of our international members. For example, we've got a chapter in San Francisco, a chapter in London, New York, Barcelona, where I am right now. Uh, we've also got, you know, a private uh, group for HR admins, you know, people that are there trying to kind of solve other problems. So we're really trying to build a, a lifestyle brand uh, around this uh, that kind of shows people what the possibilities are uh, and also demystifies this benefits landscape. Because I think we've speak, we've spoken to so many companies and God, it is it. It's just a nightmare. You know, there's so many vendors, so many different ways of looking at it. So we're trying to be the the, the business that kind of, is synonymous with taking care of that. Yeah, absolutely love it. And I, yeah, as a recruiter, I can definitely feel that, especially when I think back to some of the, the kind of older corporate companies used to work with way back when. And, and you see these benefits lists of like loads of acronyms, didn't even know what half of them stood for, couldn't explain them to candidates, candidates didn't explain. It was just all a, a massive mess. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, to take you back to the early days for a moment, um, I always find that interesting. So, um, you obviously had this shared experience with yourself and like friends and, and like peers yeah. around kind of burnout. Um, what, what was the initial concept you had for Juno? Cause I imagine it looked quite different back then to what it does today. Like what was that initial concept and how did you go about like proving that hypothesis? Okay. So this is actually hilarious because <laughs> sometimes when I feel frustrated and by the way, like, you know, if there are any on, you know, want to be entrepreneurs or founders out, you know, listening to this. Um, this is kind of my experience, which uh, I, I don't give advice and I, I try not to because I'm not necessarily qualified to. But uh, and, and whenever I got advice, I, I, would, I, I would listen to it um, to my peril, let's say. Um, so, look, I, I learned a lot from the startups that I worked at. And had I not been in those environments... And I can think of one, for example, that really was like seed stage. And now they're worth, you know, I think 600 million fintech company. Um, and I was, I think, one of their first employees. It was definitely like literally you could get the whole team around a dining table. Um, but that was formative because I learned how to do a lot with nothing. And I also learned how to sell before it was built. So when I had the idea for Juno, it was the tail end of 2018. And I just felt in love with this idea and this concept. And actually, the concept is no different to how it is now four years later, almost four years later. No different. Um, and I had a vision for that that is no different to how it is now. Now, making it happen is... A uh, different story. And I think one of the things that I learned very much, is, you know, that, that I'm glad I learned, um, which actually got us here, actually, to be fair, um, which I learned in my other sort of startup experiences was uh, that you don't need what you think you need to get started. And actually, a lot of those needs, let's say funding, let's say, you know, people, um, they tend, to, especially the very beginning, they tend to be almost like sort of self blockers. You know, they, I can't start until I've got 50 grand. I can't start until I've got a CTO. So Juno was built using WordPress at first. I'm not a technical person at all. I, I can work my way around a computer and I'm pretty good with sketch, but not great. And they're, you know, for an amateur, pretty good, but not, for, not as a professional. And I basically worked out 
how to do everything myself. And I distilled the idea. I said, okay, what is Juno actually? And, you know, to put it into a different term, someone a few years ago came to me and said, I really want to start a super app for pet owners, but I need 75 grand. And she built a business plan and she went out pitching. And of course, you know, nothing happened because there was no proof of concept really. And so my suggestion was start an Instagram for free in your local area that showcases businesses and vets and dog walkers and so on in the area and try and build a community around that. And that's kind of what I did with Juno, which was I literally spent, I think, in nine months, 500 pounds. Wow. In the nine months, that was my funding. It was domain hosting. And that was pretty much it. And, and, a, and a template for WordPress, right? And a WooCommerce subscription, right? So I built everything. And if I showed you it today, uh, maybe I can send you, if, I don't know if it's interesting to you, but I can send you what it used to look like. It looked like like 1996 website. <laughs> now, before the website was even ready, I mean, the platform was even ready, I went out and I started calling up companies and emailing companies and saying, listen, I really want to get your take on this. Are you interested? I would, I would act like, I act like it would, it was already existing. And I, I, I'm a, a little bit ashamed to say that I, I kind of finagled some friends who own companies to become our first customers so that I could say we've got clients, you know, we've got lots of clients, you know. Um, but it is, you know, I, I don't like to say fake it till you make it because, you know, you, you've got those horror stories of, you know, uh, the, the um, Elizabeth Holmes and, 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 and Billy McFarlane types. So I'm not, I'm not advocating to be dishonest, but I am saying, you know, you can do a lot with nothing. Yeah. And that's the biggest suggestion. I, you know, that's, how, that's what worked for us. And actually that tenacity still is one of our values to this day. Just getting stuff done, not worrying too much about things being perfect, uh, acting like you've got the finished article before you do. Um, and actually, the concept hasn't really changed at all since uh, since, since those fateful early, early months in 2019. <laughs> no, so that is to do like giving advice, but I think that is pretty good advice that um, you'd be surprised like how much you can do with like quite little. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I hear it from a lot of successful founders that actually what they start out with was yeah, a concept. They had a really lightweight prototype, didn't actually work, but it's something you could show people or just prove there was a market or whatever it might be. So, um, and then... Yeah, building a marketplace type product is tough. And um, I was like prepping for this and, and thinking, actually, like, where did you start in terms of like, I guess you, you obviously need paying customers on the platform, but you, to attract the providers, but you also need like a good variety of providers on the platform to attract the customers. Like, how do you go about starting out? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, I was trying to reach out to providers and, and get them to agree. But they were like, who are you? We don't know you from Adam. So I just did it anyway. I just listed their services on our platform because what are they going to do? Complain that we're making them money. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, th so see this, so, so this is an example of, of I learned this in a startup. I've worked in startups before and had I not, you know, maybe had a different background, I would have never done that. But if I hadn't done that, we wouldn't have a business today. You know, if I hadn't called up companies and pretended like the business actually exi product existed, which it didn't, you know, so I literally just went and added these providers, you know, and I just, they didn't know. And we were tiny. We literally probably had 30 users at the time. But obviously, we're trying to prove to them. And we're not just, a, you know, we're not just random people that called you. I mean, we are. Of course we are. But look, there's value. We've actually sent you 
we've sent you some customers. We've sent you some money. By the way, I was fulfilling all the orders. So we would get an order from the customer and then I would go on their website and <laughs> fulfill the order and the details. Like, for the first sort of, I mean, a long time, a longer than I would like to admit, we were doing everything manually. But then obviously, you know, by the way, providers, finding providers is easy because at the end of the day, you're pitching them, hey, do you want to potentially make more money? And there's no risk whatsoever to you. So finding suppliers is not hard. It's the customers that that's the difficulty. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when, when you're in a marketplace, some customers will want a highly curated set of, of, of options, a highly curated premium set of options. Other customers will just want everything. They want Amazon. They want everything under the sun. And so it's about striking a balance. You know, it's about being strong about who you are. And I, that, that has been one of the biggest challenges for sure is like compromise. It's always that, that kind of argument of like the customers are saying they want something, but do we really want to go down that route? Um, you know, is that true to our values and are true to our vision? But at the same time, you know, you need to listen to what prospects and customers are saying, what they need and be adaptable. So that's always been tricky. I think we've made some decisions in the past that have been to appease customers and actually kind of strayed a little bit away from what we think is right. Um, because frankly, you know, we're in it 24-7. We're in Juno 24-7. We're always thinking about what we need. Whereas our customers, maybe they'll devote two hours a month to thinking about what Juno means to them. Right. So and not to say that that's not unbelievably insightful, but it also means that, you know, it's about striking a balance between what what they want versus what um, what we want to build. Definitely. And one of the things that I really liked was, uh, um, from my understanding, you support all size businesses Like you have like you know, an offering for more like SME startups. You have large companies, enterprise and, and as a small business owner, like the thing I always struggle with is a lot of solutions they don't want to deal with people or companies under like 50 people or a certain size um do you do you see like across your customer demographic like is it is it really popular more with like the startups or is it really quite evenly spread across startups and larger companies so um there is a nice mix so uh, we've got lots of small businesses who just got founded they just want to start right because obviously this stuff is really scalable what we offer is very scalable and it? it's a very quick easy i mean literally there are other companies that take months to onboard, a lot of KYC, KYB. We don't need to do any of that. It literally onboard your company in two minutes. Even, even if it's 500 people, it's two minutes to, to give everyone the option. But for small companies, it's very popular. But we have a nice split. You know, we have companies that are larger, much more, you know, much, um, you know, longer in terms of uh, 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 their, their history, let's say. Um and we have a lot of remote businesses. And actually, we see that the growth market is the remote companies uh, because we, we, we are kind of alone in that market because a lot of the other businesses are sort of fintech, they're regulated, and so they're not as, e not as easy for them to operate in those different markets where it is for, very easy for us. Um, so we have a nice split, to be honest with you, um, where we love, wor we love working with a sort of mid-sized business because we know that their challenges are very, very complex. They're adding, you know, especially the fast-scaling businesses who are adding, you know, Let's say they're, they're increasing their headcount by 50% year on year. They're funded. They're growing massively into new markets. So we love that we can support those businesses um, in the sense that, you know, with a really scalable uh, solution. If you're listening and thinking, I'd love to work for a company like this, then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io 
where they have the best jobs in four good companies. From climate change to social impact to green transport, you will be able to find the perfect job for you. Trust me. Check it out, www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And um, I also was thinking about, like, do, do, people, like, do companies typically save money using Juno? Because, again, I'm thinking, like, if you're a business that's using lots of different providers, you're having to pay them all separately versus actually everything's consolidated. Like, is it actually a sm- much smarter use of people's budget as well as obviously the benefits that their, their employees are more engaged and actually getting more of what they want? So it's really simple. Um, if you if you prior to Juno spent money on a gym or whatever it might be, you just divide the engagement rate by the amount you're spending. So for example, if you're spending £1,000 a month and you've got 10 people using it, let's say £10,000 a month and you've got 10 people using it out of 100, that cost per head is a grand, number one. Number two, you've got a bunch of people who you spent money on that didn't get any benefit. And what's the point of a benefit if it doesn't benefit people? So the idea here is that you put the money into Juno. If it's spent, it's spent. Fantastic. If it's not, it's still there. It's still redeemable. You're giving that allowance. You're giving your budget the chance to be used, the chance to be redeemed rather than just throwing money. And it might be a smaller amount, by the way. You know, it could be, well, we spent £8 a month on this platform. And now you're asking us to pay £40 a month for Juno, for example. But the truth is that 40 goes straight to the employee. If it's not spent, it stays in the system. But if it is spent, fantastic. And there's a much higher chance that it's being spent rather than the old models, the old business model, which is you spend £8, you get access to a platform. If you use it, great. If you don't use it, doesn't matter. We've still got your £8. You know, so companies spend a hell of a lot of money. I mean, it's just simple. It's very, very simple economics, you know. Um, and then not to mention, of course, you know, we'll help companies set up their tax-free benefits in their local re- region. We'll be able to support them in terms of setting up, you know, things like cycle to work in the UK. We have partners that do that. And of course, those are all tax incentivized. So, of course, I mean, the the, the tax saving, the money savings are, are you know, um, um, huge. Definitely. And um, I guess the thing you just touched on as well, which I know is difficult with these kind of project uh, products is engagement. Um, like when it comes to engagement, but also getting people like regularly using the app, like what have you seen as work best for Juno or, or what do you just do in general to help drive like user engagement on the product? I mean, brand is the first biggest priority. Uh, we built a brand that resonates with people that is friendly, that is authoritative, that is uh, modern, um, that speaks the language of the modern professional. Um, so that's first and foremost, people like, to, to, to engage with Juno because it's finally a breath of fresh air. It's a brand that clearly advocates and cares for the modern professional. The second thing is we really, really focus on making the catalogue and the, 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 the selection high quality, aspirational. People will, when they've got disposable income, meaning Juno points, they're going to buy a Peloton membership. They're going to buy a face gym they're going to buy a barrier, whereas they wouldn't have with their own salary because it's the cash that they could have spent on something else. And that makes them feel good just to be able to, to access aspirational high-end stuff. And then, of course, uh, we have a team of marketers in, in the company that engage with members. You know, I just mentioned we have a Slack community, Friends with Benefits, uh, and those that's basically, you know, uh, 
showing people what, what you can use your points on. There's a lot of testimonials, a lot of social proof. We send a lot of engagement emails. We have a lot of data around that. We, we, we have automated messaging based on people's usage in their, their, their local area. So we, we've kind of taken traditional e-commerce practices to benefits for the first time. Um, we also run promotions with vendors and so on and so forth. So, you know, it, it's kind of, um, we, we, we've thrown everything at it to, to get people engaged and excited. And we've done a very good job of that. Yeah, no, like, uh, I'm not saying it, I, I would agree, like just looking at the website, seeing how it speaks to you, um, feels like a real consumer brand um, in how it's like playful. Yeah, it's tailored to each person. Um, so that, that all makes, that all makes sense. Um, obviously one thing I'm really interested to hear from you actually is like, you, you have probably the truest representation of what employees want when it comes to benefits, because you're actually, the, they're the ones choosing on your platform rather than employees going, here's what we offer. What, what are some of the like top three, five benefits that people are actually using their credits or points on? Well, I mean, it's a validation to us that there isn't really a very standout kind of clear, clear winner. But what I will say is that, you know, I think traditional well-being um, has, has, um, is less engaged with than you would expect. Actually, people opt for a lot of like uh, organic food and healthy supplements, for example, because it's kind of fairly easy. It doesn't take time. You know, it doesn't, it's not like you're committing to spending an hour speaking to a therapist, which by the way, is still popular. But I think what we found is that employees quite often would rather save time. So book, for example, a house cleaning um, or food. You know, so they're saving time rather than spending time. Uh, but also, you know, what we found is that there's a bit of a ladder. So they might start off buying something that's just a product which is just like, oh, um, that looks interesting. I'll buy that. That's easy. No, not much friction. It will arrive in the post. Just kind of very low uh, commitment type purchase. But actually what we found in, in our data over time is that there's a ladder. So they'll, they'll try the vitamins and they go, okay, maybe I'll, I'll check out this uh, PT class and then I'll go to the PT. And then all of a sudden, nine months later, they're, they're sort of, they've got their yoga, the mindfulness, the meditation, the therapy. Uh, they might be, you know, meeting up with others, you know, the point is that we, we, we kind of allow people to, to enter however they want. Um, but I would say that what we were surprised by, especially during COVID, of course, is, is the, um, the virtual stuff. So being able to access, you know, music lessons or, or, or courses, but also, you know, delivery, food, food stuff like organic food, veggie boxes, uh, meal kits, things like that of that nature. Yeah, no, I, I'm not too surprised either. Like when I think of what my team doing, like they use their allowance for all plants who gives a crap like loads of different yeah. like We've a real variety yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so looking ahead what what are you most excited about when it comes to you know when you look at the next like year or two like what are the big things in the roadmap yeah so uh we found that um you know employees engage with us very very often um and you know we have made our brand uh, based on sort of engagement and well-being but actually what we've what we're about to launch is um, is the ability for companies to manage more than just the well-being allowance through Juno. So we know a lot of businesses uh, will offer things like work from home. Um, so, for example, a one-off we we offer a one-off five hundred pound work from home allowance. That's not including their laptop, which we provide for free. But it's like if you want to get. Uh, you know, a desk lamp or a desk or, uh, you know, accessories in general, uh, even a chair, you know, it, it could be 
anything that will help them in their work from home life, right? So we know that the, and there are other allowances, you know, for example, lunch, learning and development, uh, um, uh, tech, it could be any, um, for, for, for utilities, for example, uh, I'm running out of idea fitness. Um, so what we're doing is, because we know that we're very, very good at what we do, which is encouraging employees to find what's best for them, whether it's through the marketplace or through the card or the reimbursement. We also know that companies find it a massive headache to implement this stuff, you know, whether it's receipt reconciliation and communication and credit card advances and putting it on pay slips and so on. We will do all of that. So in addition to the well-being, we're about to launch the ability for people to essentially divvy out an allowance for pretty much not anything, but for for, for the other popular allowances and, and, and things like of that nature. And of course, uh, continuing to improve, you know, our brand, our user experience, continuing to improve our bread and butter. We recently launched what we call Juno Experts, which is essentially our own in-house team of therapists, mindfulness coaches, nutritionists. Uh, child psychologist, I'm trying to think of others. Uh, did I say PT? I don't know. But either way, we've got this on demand. You literally go in, you book a Calendly, and you can get it for cheaper than you can get anywhere else. Uh, speak to a therapist within a day or a few hours sometimes. Um, and that's all, uh, sort of that, that came recently. And then we've got the multiple budgets coming um, in the next couple of weeks. That's pretty cool. Very, very exciting. Um, and then to you talk a little bit about you know yourself as a founder and like some of your personal journey um first thing i want to ask was like what you feel is your biggest strength uh, as a as a founder or as a leader uh good question um i think a strength in general which i think i have but a lot of other great founders have is just is tenacity like you know we're the stubborn kids that wouldn't wouldn't here no you know um and you know this stuff is very hard because you're trying to create something out of nothing and you're trying to you know it's very tiring and very defeating to have to continually repeat your vision and try and get people on side whether it's your employees whether it's your customers whether it's prospects whether it's investors that is exhausting right so it's very tiring, but you have to be tenacious and not give up and keep going, keep going, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. I'm one of those people. You know, I, I don't I, I, I don't get disheartened. I do obviously get disheartened, but it doesn't allow me to, you know, I'm not, uh, I just keep going. There'll be times where I'll feel exhausted and, and disengaged and that might last a week or two, but then you're back on the horse and you're going to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep reminding people of your vision and so on and so forth. That I would say is the probably the only one, the only strength, um, just sheer force of will. Yeah, I don't believe that's any strength, but I think that's a pretty good one because I, yeah, I, I speak to people that are like, oh, I can't do this. You know, like, what's the problem? And they, they, so very, what seems to be a very small barrier that could be overcome. But I think you have people that put blockers in the way, and you have people that just see them as something to go through. Um, and founders definitely need 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 that skill. Um, if I was to ask your team or your direct reports, like what's the worst thing about working with Ali? What what do you think they'd say? That's funny. Probably the same thing as the strength. <laughs> um, I'm ne- I, I think that I'm never satisfied. Like never, 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 never. It's ne- it's never. You know, nothing is ever good enough. Of myself, I hold myself to that standard, but also others. 
So um, definitely that. But also, and this is something that I, I found out a lot of founders suffer from, which is your job as a CEO, if you're doing the right job, is to look up and out. It's like a very, very well-known cliche, which is like you're looking at the landscape, the market, you're networking, you're meeting people, you're meeting advisors, you're meeting smart people, you're meeting investors, you're reading books, you're, you're building that kind of knowledge. But it can often backfire on your team because you're coming out and coming back into the company and going, this idea, this new thing, this great thing, this, this um, uh, what's the word, this um, technique, this management style, I'm bringing in this advisor. And a lot of it lacks context. So I think one of the things that we, we do 360 reviews, so being clearer, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to not be very thorough about why we're doing stuff. I, may, I could make our team do a U-turn because I've gone and, and I've done all my research and homework, but I haven't been very communicative on that. So that tends to be, tends to be uh, the, the weakness, which is, you know, you, you come back with shiny things and uh, it, it tends to lack context. And, 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 but, but I would say, actually, to be fair, um, you know, being unsatisfied is, is annoying for sure, but that's what drives businesses forward is like, you, you know, you'll be happy when you, and when are you going to be happy, really, fully, truly happy uh, with something? You know, it could always be better. We could always be selling more. We could always be marketing better. Our products could always be better. Um, and uh, that's kind of what I espouse in the company. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm smiling because I, th- I think there's the second point around, like, the context switching. Like, I'm definitely guilty of that. Like, like you said, you, you, you're going and doing a lot of different things and you hear this great idea and bring it back to the team like where's that come from or this change of direction um on your first point uh, especially around kind of like holding people to high standards or never quite being you know happy do you find you need to temper that sometimes especially with like people in your team like understand internally why that is something that will likely never change and that's what makes you great but when you speak to people in your team, have you, have you realized actually if I do this too far then I'm going to push people away or is it a case of just surrounding yourself with people that uh, rise to the challenge rather than see it as a, a demotivator I guess everyone's different like you know it's a, the football analogy of some people like a, a pat on the shoulder others like being bollocked you know pardon the, 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 the language but it's true you know like some people just react to different ways of, of management I think um, one of the things I would say is and, and, and a thing that I really struggle with and I still struggle with to this day and I've always struggled with is but sometimes you aren't always upfront, transparent, and honest because you're afraid of people's feelings. Um, you know, you don't want to hurt someone's feelings or you don't want to come across the wrong way. You don't want to tell people, give people feedback sometimes. You, you know, as a, as a CEO, as a founder, um, especially one that's empathetic, there is a tendency that I have for sure, which is just to kind of sugarcoat things. But that ends up actually really backfiring because if you're not clear if you're not transparent if you're not upfront if you're not direct obviously that you know, there's a there's a there's a spectrum here you're going to cause more issues than you than than needs be you're going to cause more issues uh you're going to confuse people you're going to go back on your word so i suppose um you know like i said everyone is different sometimes it's worth asking at the very start how do you like to receive feedback how would you like to be you know, spoken to, a lot of people will lie and say, oh, just tell me. And you'll learn the first few times yeah. that that isn't working uh, and you will adapt to that. But I think, again, you know, for me, if I was to give myself advice, it's just like, don't be afraid to just be honest 
about your thoughts about somebody. And, you know, I, I think as well, and this is human nature, and especially very British human nature, which is that by avoiding conflict, you kind of build this passive aggressive culture, right? You, you, you're unable to say to somebody, hey, I need you to focus on this. I need you to focus on improving that. I need you to focus on that. Instead, you kind of, you, you blackball them a little bit. You put a little marker on them. You go, that person's not working hard enough, not competent, not capable, not whatever it might be, you know. And rather than having that, that clear conversation, you create the passive aggressiveness, you know, the passive aggression, which is, you know, perhaps not being as transparent, perhaps avoiding speaking to that person. And, and I've definitely experienced that in the past. And I'm trying to improve on yeah. that. All good, 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 good points. Um, final section is just chatting to you a bit about, you know, uh, your approach to like building and growing like a, a business that's doing good in the world. Um, and am I, am I right in thinking that Juno is, is a remote first, it's a, it's a remote company? Yeah, we're a remote business. I'm in Barcelona. Nice. And we've got a lot, a lot of people in London. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, um, yeah, what, one thing I'm interested in is like, you know, in terms of your approach to building a remote working culture that's collaborative, productive, scalable, I, I think that's something that a lot of startups struggle with. Can you share like your what, what the approach has been that you've taken? Yeah, so it's, it's not been easy, to be honest, Craig. Like, uh, you know, there have been times where I've kind of thought, oh, God, if only we had an office and, and, and uh, you know, we could all be together and build that kind of like hustle culture. But the truth is, uh, there are amazing advantages to being remote. And we try and kind of herald that uh, as, a pro- as an approach, which is, first of all, you can live where you want. And I'm in Barcelona right now and the sun is shining and it's 24 degrees. And I just got from, I had, I went to the gym this morning and I didn't feel like I had to get on a bus and, you know, there's no commute. And, and I think that, you know, for our team, that's part of the culture. We have um, something that I am so passionate about, um, which is a small thing, but a very important thing, um, which is what I hated when I worked in companies, which is I tell my team, uh, tell, don't ask, meaning tell us you've got a hospital appointment Tell us you're taking a half day off. Tell us that you're going to be uh, working from wherever. Don't ask us. Don't ask for permission. Who am I to tell you whether or not you can leave early to go pick up your kid? Tell us. Let us know. We have Charlie HR, which is great, uh, and they can just submit it in there. Um, So that's, for us, one big part of the culture. The second big part of the culture is we meet Every quarter, we've committed to meeting every quarter as a team. Obviously, it's not obligatory, but we try our best to bring everybody together. We were just in London uh, about three weeks ago. And in uh, sort of December, January time, we're going to meet up again. The management team meets monthly. And that will be, you know, I think the next one is in Paris, which is in a couple of weeks. And uh, some people will come to Barcelona, I'll come to London. But we meet once a month. So that physical human connection is important. And then we try and give people the autonomy to work. Um, a lot of it comes from that initial uh, hiring process. So you want to hire people that are able to slightly self-manage, not completely self-manage, but be able to self-manage. We also want to hire people that want to contribute to your culture because culture isn't a monolith, right? I'm not going to just sit here. I mean, obviously I'm responsible for the culture, but you want people that can contribute, people that want to start uh Friday drinks, uh, coffee morning, uh, people that want to suggest uh, 
softwares, people that want to, you know, you, you get what I'm saying, you know, you want to hire the right kinds of, of, of personalities as well. Um, so personally, those are the approaches um, that, that we've made. And um, it's not perfect. I, I've got to say, you know, one of the things that I, I would, you know, advise our, well, not advise, but counsel our teams, uh, our clients is, yeah, this wasn't uh, voluntary in many ways. It was uh, as a result of COVID, right? COVID is what pushed this. And it wasn't like it invented it. It just pushed it. And we're going to work it out. Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, if you can imagine what the post-industrial era was like in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, where they built open plan offices, and so that wasn't perfect from day one either. So time will only tell. Um my, also, just my final thing on this is that I'm not so keen on this sort of platformization. Um, and what I mean by that is there are so many tools, there are so many softwares, there are so many platforms that you can use, right? For example, there are platforms that lets you all see each other and you can be in little rooms and, and, and great, right? But that's not for me, not for us. Um, there are lots of little softwares that you can use, not for us, right? I want to kind of keep it as clean as possible um, just because I, I just I think that this is kind of an overload of software and tools and stuff and things end up this way. And, you know, we use a couple and even then it's kind of a little bit all over the place. Um, and actually there is one sort of, uh, I suppose, final thing, which actually probably the one that I forgot is probably the most important. Write stuff down document for, for for the you know for a remote company your values your mission statement and your vision not only needs to be written down but needs to be visible like really visible in every monday morning meeting we start by reading out our values right values are super important right um your mission is super important your vision is super important to continually communicate to repeat to have it codified not just to have it on a wall in an office and just kind of ignore it it's super important um so that's the final the final thing yeah no all, all like really solid points i think clarity is key like one like you said most importantly around like your mission your 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 vision your values but also actually clarity around this is how we communicate. This is the sh- like having a baseline structure in terms of like, these are the meetings we have as a team. This is the best way to go about doing these things because you're not sat in an office. You don't naturally just passively see these things happen and go, oh, okay, that's how that works. So like you said, having everything documented, having some clarity around the processes helps hugely. Um, you talked about hiring uh, briefly there. And um, in terms of the Juno policy for hiring, is it anywhere in the world or is it like plus a certain set of hours from like London, Spain. Yeah, right. Right now, um, we are really focused on Europe, and I, it feels bad saying that because I really do want to be a truly global business. But we have so many clients of ours, and we're a very client-facing business that it's difficult for us to kind of right quite right now uh, do do that kind of more asynchronous thing. Uh, to put it to, to put it very uh, crudely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, uh, we have customers that ask questions and need support and sales that need to be made in in not at four in the morning um so for for now however you know we are a global business and and obviously after our series a which will be coming in the next few months we're looking to expand in the u.s especially we've got a lot of u.s clients but really put our feet down uh in the u.s so that that will change things for, for, for sure got it and and i guess focused on the, the hiring until now 
I, I work with a lot of businesses where they're still early stage and they take the stance that they do want people in the office like a day a week. And it's extremely limiting, like especially if you're London based, the pool of people you're trying to hire from is very restricted. It's super competitive. So there's a huge benefit to even just being able to recruit and hire people across Europe. Um, but obviously there's other sides to that in terms of like the, the legal, the compliance, the making sure that contracts are done properly. Um, like, yeah, do you see you, you've got a massive advantage there in terms of hiring or is it, is it actually something which kind of balances out when you look at some of the downsides to trying to hire across I mean, different countries? If putting in simple terms, like how many people are in London that are in your target candidate, candidate pool and how many people are in the world are in your target candidate pool? You're gonna find better people. Yeah, yeah. You just you're just gonna like uh, it's simple. Um, but um, you know, look. First of all, um, it's important for us that we reflect the, the the businesses and the professionals that we are serving. And as I said earlier in the call, we have seventy. We have people using Juno in 71 countries okay yeah and that means that i would like it if our team were international that spoke you know we have people that we have an insane we've only got 23 people on the team and i think we speak 11 languages you know like brazilian portuguese 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 spanish english obviously french (laughs) uh, dutch uh italian german i mean uh, I'm Arabic, so I can do that too. Um, the point is that we want to reflect who we're serving. And that means we, we're going to need to hire people internationally. Um, you know, it doesn't really make sense for us to be a British business that serves people in Spain, Italy, Germany. It doesn't, not, not that it doesn't work. It just makes, it just feels better for me to, to, to have that international business um, and international workforce. And of course, they bring their own culture, they bring their own backgrounds, you know, they bring their own ways of thinking. And that, for me, at least, is a net good, a net positive. Definitely. And um, in terms of you know, anyone listening, Ali, that's um, you know wants to follow the Juno journey, where, where are you? Where is the company most active on socials? LinkedIn. Uh, so just search Juno, the life company. And the reason I added that was because a, it obviously is on brand, but b, uh, it's easy to find us because there are so many Junos. Uh, and then uh, Instagram. So so at with so w-a-t-h and then two underscores and then juno j-u-n-o um that reminds me i should probably reach out to the person who has juno and ask again because they're in korea korea <laughs> uh, if they would sell us juno um but we'll see the domain good luck with that um well, Ali, look, it's been Pleasure. really fun uh, i've learned loads um so thanks for coming on the show and um, yeah best luck with juno thank you Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a review. We're just getting started out, so it would mean a lot to us. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril al and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.